podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Janney. Ethan, how's your trats going today? My Tourette's syndrome, it's at bay. I'm heavily medicated and I'm feeling uh, totally uncomfortable making fun of a, a syndrome that people may self suffer from <laughs> and be offended by making fun of. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. So you got an intro for Jeremy. Let's just get right into that. Let's talk about Jeremy, our guest. <laughs> All right, let's talk to Jeremy. Jeremy Parker is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and serial entrepreneur. Got a lot of cool stuff going on. He is currently the CEO and co-founder of Swag.com. He has also previously successfully exited a startup called Tipped Media. Uh, But today, he's here to talk with us about a new idea he has in the travel industry. So Jeremy, tell us a little bit about what that idea is and maybe what's the story behind what sparked the idea. Hey, so thanks so much for having me guys. Um, yeah, I mean, during the pandemic, all I could dream about was when this pandemic's gonna end and when we're gonna start traveling and where I'm gonna go. And I used to look up at the sky and I used to see tons of planes and it doesn't really exist anymore. There hasn't been so much travel going on, but I remember back feels like lifetimes ago when you used to look up at the sky and see a plane i'd always think where is that plane going and it would instantly get me into the mindset of i want to go on a vacation i gotta go somewhere i gotta go somewhere warm so i thought it'd be a really fun idea if at the moment when you see a plane above you're in that mindset of traveling at that exact moment you could point your phone up to the sky you take a picture of the plane and this is very possible it's able to be done and then it will give you a set of questions or even just one question and it'll ask you like a multiple choice question about the city where it's actually going to. So let's say it's New York City, you would say something related to the Big Apple or some sort of question. And if you get the answer right, then you get $100 off at JetBlue or um, Travelocity or Priceline or one of these things. Just a really great way to make it fun. Always see the planes in the sky, take the photo, make a guess or answer the question, win some money, and then use that money to get into, uh, you know, to go on vacation. Yeah, totally. I, I can't remember the name of the app, my friends were really into it a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's still hot, but it was just kind of like a quiz game, you know, and you would tune in at a specific time and they, you know, you'd watch it on your phone and they'd come in and they'd have these short videos with quiz questions and you would compete with people who are alive, like taking this quiz and you could win money, but it was just fun, you know, and you could win serious money with these things if you did a good job. And uh, I can see something like this generating a buzz and getting a, a bit of attention for a little bit. So, Yeah, I think there's a lot of room to gamify air travel further. The airline industry is noted as being one of the first to actually gamify their, uh, their business model to some extent with frequent flyer miles. And of course, other industries have emulated that. It's, it's became a little stale. I know uh, our parents' generation, my dad personally is obsessed with his status and all his airline, airline miles, but the younger generation maybe isn't so focused on that. And there's room to create other incentive structures out there that are uh, fun, but also driving up demand. The context I wanted to lay out here for the situation, of course, with COVID-19, like everything else, it's, uh, the airline industry has been affected probably more than other industries. Demand has fallen to, let's say, 
at its trial, maybe 10% of pre-pandemic demand, and it's not expected to reach the uh, March 2019 level until the end of 2023. So wow. the airline industry is hurting. They uh, had $666 billion in global revenue in 2019. 2021 forecast, base case forecast is $316 billion. So less than half of that. Huge opportunity out there for someone who's able to help uh, bolster airline travel right now. So even though this is a fun idea, and I think that there's a, there's a lot of appeal to it being a fun idea, the financial reward is there if you can help the uh, airline industry, which, you know, who doesn't want to help the airline industry, right? That's, that's a... <laughs> my life passion to help the airline industry. One thing that's interesting as a parent, we both have kids that are under three years old. You know, the kids love to point at planes in the sky and say, who's it going? And actually, my brother-in-law is a pilot. Yeah, so it was like, oh, yeah, you know, your, your uncle is, is in driving that plane, you know. So I think it's also can have an interesting other entry point, right, to kind of get the kids involved in travel and remind the adults about travel. And I think there's a lot of things that parents do just because kids get excited about it. And if you could do that, kind of snatch the kids' attention as well as part of this app, I think you could have a lot more momentum. It could definitely grow into something a lot bigger than just the initial small idea. It's just an easy way to say to somebody, it's free to use. Use the app and win money. That's really it. So you see a plane, don't have to think about it always. Press the button, make a guess, win a little bit of money. It's like a no-brainer why you would want to have it. By the way, especially with the with the growth of crypto and NFTs going on right now, a lot of people are talking about applications and augmented reality and virtual reality. And this also seems like it's edging on augmented reality and maybe even can have an augmented reality component where, you know, you could, you point your phone at that plane and there's an interesting icon that pops up on top of it. And it's kind of fun. You could, there's multiple planes, you could scan your phone around the sky and it could potentially tell you where each one's going or have like a different question for each one that you want to pick or something like that. hundred percent. And it's, it's fairly easy. I, there are some, you know, public APIs that you could use that it knows based on where you're standing, the area and the, and the, the angle of the plane exactly where it's going. So it's, it's, it shouldn't be that hard. You don't have to build anything really robust, um, but you can make it fun. You know, it's all about having fun. I think the travel industry specifically and the hotel industry is even countries and states that need to get tourism up will probably want to push as many people in creative ways to move out there. So thinking about this idea, I see four different components of it here. It's the incentive structure itself for the app. What's going to make people want to use it? What's going to make them want to come back? What's going to make them want to share it with their friends? There's uh, building the app, which I think you, you talked about this a lot, creating an app that can actually recognize the plane and where it's going or coming from, I think that's doable. There's some technical pieces that probably need to be run down, but that's doable. Monetization, you need to set up affiliate deals with all the partners. And these could be affiliate deals with the airlines. It could be affiliate deals with hotels. It could be activities at the destinations themselves. If the airplane's going to Florida, you know, Miami Beach or something like that, which you should not go there right now because spring breakers are running amok. But if it were, uh, you know, you could have some deals for uh, water skiing or something like that to pop up. And then marketing is attracting Yap users. So those are the things that I think need to happen. I think that building the app is, is probably going to be uh, lowest on my list in terms of difficulty here. 
The thing that I really try and hone in on first is the incentive structure. And one of the things that I would consider doing right away is um, buying an hour of a behavioral economist's time. I think of someone like uh, Dan Ariely is, is someone that has been ahead of this subset of professors for a long time, but it'd be super cool to, to talk to him for an hour and kick around some ideas for how you motivate people to use an app like this. And maybe you change the structure of the app significantly to make it much more engaging and viral. Nir Ayal is another person that you would you could talk to. He wrote the book, Hooked. By the way, it might it may seem difficult to get in touch with some of these people, but a lot of these folks are professors, right? The behavioral economists, they, they do experimental research. And one interesting that, thing that I found is if somebody is working at a university, it might even be a requirement that they have a, an email address that's on a university page, right? So sometimes it's not so hard to at least find a contact information for these people. When I was taking some classes at NYU in their neuroscience department, Paul Glimpscher was working there. He's a pretty famous uh, behavioral economist. And just knowing that he might be walking around the halls or something like that, if you go to a lecture, you're on campus, or he's giving a public lecture, you know, you could approach these people and start a conversation. So it's not as inaccessible as it may seem. Yeah. So thinking about the uh, incentives themselves, some questions that come to mind in you know, half-baked ideas are good here. That's what we're doing. We're baking. We're bakers on this podcast. <laughs> One thing that came to mind is, like you, Jeremy, if you live close to an airport and you're pointing at a plane, you can pretty much always guess that it's going to New York or maybe Newark. I mean, that's easy to solve. You could just do where's the plane coming from as opposed to where's this going. Maybe you have to note both legs. Uh, a couple other ideas that came to mind for me would be where it's coming from, you don't necessarily, it seems like it would be steep to give someone a hundred bucks. If they guessed it right, people would very quickly try and game the system. But I think, actually, I think Jeremy addressed, addressed that too, because I think you added like, you wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily be about guessing the city that it's going to or even coming from, but maybe it would actually tell you where it's going to or coming from, but then say, oh, here's a trivia question about that particular city or something related so i guess other things that we could do here is rather than giving any sort of uh direct financial reward which we already talked about airlines are are losing a ton of money they may not be keen to to do that but uh they do give away points and, and they may be willing to do that especially for places that they're not filling their seats to so it could be that same sort of thing you you're looking, seeing where the the plane is coming from, and you see all these facts about the city. And you know, maybe you would never consider visiting Knoxville, Tennessee, or something like. Knoxville is a bad example because Knoxville is a cool city, but maybe like Bismarck, North Dakota, right, or something. You know, or like Inglewood, New Jersey, right? Like, who'd want to go there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> some, some place that you would not know of, and and all the the highlights of that place, and. You see the pictures and feed, and and you can um, directly pin it to your Pinterest board or Instagram or something like that to drum up interest in these places that you wouldn't otherwise know of. And then, of course, you can yeah share some either airline miles or some deals, affiliate deals, to get people interested in booking those. And if you can dynamically adjust this based on airline capacity, that would be really appealing to airlines. So I really love the point you made, Chris, about the gamification aspect and how that folds in so naturally to the way that 
airlines are already gamifying things and you could just award points and that way it doesn't have to be about them giving away dollars without people flying. And I'm really curious, Jeremy, with your existing business, swag.com, like anything interesting come up here? I mean, that brand that you're working with now, it, it kind of deals with making brands fun and, you know, getting people involved in brands with kind of special items and things like that. Is there anything about the way that you run what you're doing now or the way that you started it that you think integrates with this idea or, or helps inform how you would start it? Yeah, for sure. So I run swag.com. We, we are very, we're B2B. So we work with over 5,000 companies at this point you know, from TikTok and Facebook and Netflix and Spotify, really big, large tech companies and, and any global company to really st small startups. But as you, as you say, like it's the buyer within that company is the office manager, the HR manager, the marketing person. They are buying on behalf of their business, but they're also a person. They're also a consumer. So we do have a lot of gamification already built into the app and how it works. So when you sign up on swag, you earn some swag points. And if you spend a certain dollar amount, you earn swag points. If you introduce us to a coworker and they start spending, you get some more swag points. If you share us on Facebook or Twitter. So we built this kind of leverage of how to use their own personal social media streams or their own business, LinkedIn, whatever it is to earn points on behalf of their company. So we have a lot of people who are you know, climbing up the ranks and getting you know, $1,000 off of the next order, $5,000 off in the next order based on their, their spend and based on you know, their activity. So gamification definitely plays a factor. And I think it's really impactful, not only for consumers driven products, but also B2B products as well. In terms of getting the business started, when we started Swag, we started it without anything. We didn't have a website. We didn't have money at all. We started it as an indie hacker as you could possibly think of it in general. We had a landing page. And, and how did I acquire the swag.com domain name, right? It sounds like it's insanely expensive. And it frankly was. The, the owner of the domain was trying to ask for over a million dollars. And clearly, I didn't have a million dollars to spend. So we worked out a deal with the owner after a lot of persuasion, about nine months, where basically we would buy the domain, we would, we would exclusively license domain for a two-year period with the option to buy. So before having to put down all this money, first of all, we negotiated down to about 200,000. Once we came to a price that we were happy to accept, we then worked at a deal where we exclusively licensed the domain name. So then we had to see like, are we, do we have a real business here? Do customers really value the brand? Are they connected to the brand? And ultimately based on sales and based on our traffic, we could then justify raising some money, using some of the money we made in sales to buy and acquire the domain for full time. Uh, Cause we value how powerful the brand is, especially in a B2B business. So then we had this domain and how'd you get started? We don't have any, we didn't have any tech developers. We didn't frankly even know what to build. So we launched a landing page for swag that just had a picture of some t-shirts said swag.com and we were traveling salesmen. And me and my co-founder, Josh, we knock on doors. We would literally show up at businesses unannounced. Remember one day we walked up and down the hallways to all the WeWork companies, giving out some flyers, just talking to whoever and trying to make some sales, but really trying to learn the experience. What do customers want? What do they like to buy? What they don't like to buy? And we ultimately built the right platform. It took us a year and now we're six years in and we're constantly refining it. But I think in the same way that we did that, I would do this. Like, Start at the really, really base level. Maybe build a very, like a, a super MVP. Like doesn't have all the bells and whistles. Like very, very simple. Maybe get one sponsor. Maybe go after JetBlue and say, we're going to build you this awesome app and we're just going to offer some, some, uh, some points or some dollars to, to our, our winners. And come up with all the questions yourself. Like you could build this app for less than $5,000. A lot of it is open source. A lot of the technology for the planes and where things are going is open sourced. It should be a very quick process. 
and build on yourself as build a hype structure, like build people getting interested in the thing that you're doing without having all the bells and whistles, just have like a very simple thing. And ultimately it could expand to anything, but you got to start small. Yeah. By the way, we've got a few pre previous guests on the run with a podcast that if you're not a developer, but you have an idea and, you know, either have some capital to spend or uh, investors or something like that, they're kind of ready to go to connect you with developers. We just had Sani Abdul-Jabbar on the episode who runs VezTech, who has developers outsourced to Pakistan and are ready to go with all kinds of different ideas. And we also have, who's, who's the host of the Robots Smashing Into Other Robots podcast? What's the name of that? Chad Pytel. Chad Pytel, yeah. yeah. What's that company called? I'm, I'm just blanking on ThoughtBot. Yeah. So ThoughtBot is also another company that helps people bring ideas to life. So there's resources out there. You don't have to be the one that knows how to use these technologies or create the app. That was an incredible, incredible idea that you guys uh, brought to the table about making an exclusive license of the domain. Is, is that something that you guys came up with or you had some sort of mentor that gave you that suggestion or where did that kind of creativity come from? We came up with it for us. I mean, I'm assuming it exists. I, I'm assuming we're not the only ones to ever come up with that idea. But for us, it was literally the only way it would work. And we looked at the industry of promotional products, and it's nearly a $40 billion industry. And we looked at all the winners of the space. And there's a lot of companies that do really well, but there's no go-to brand that you would think this is the place to get promotional products. And then we did like an analysis of who the buyer is. And the buyer is really like a 23 to 27-year-old. And their brands appeal to them. They want to work with a brand that connects to what they're interested in, what they're, what they're interested in, and what their sensibilities are. And we felt like swag.com, they're calling it that. So we should own the brand name for what it actually is. And kind of like a secret sauce, what our feeling was, is that if you discover swag.com, you might not be looking for, to buy swag, but in eight months from now, you might be looking to buy swag. And when you're talking to your boss, or you're talking to your coworkers, you're saying, oh, we got to get some swag for this event it will instantly, just the offline connection will remind you to check out swag.com. And it's been proving to work. You know, 40% of all of our traffic comes directly to our site, directly typing into the browser, swag.com. So we're able to acquire customers without the traditional heavy lift of paid ads and all this other stuff. We're able to really acquire customers for, for very cheap. That's incredible. Just uh, thinking about the domain and the app name, you know, for example, what we're coming up with, thinking about ways that you can leverage the name of a company or the name of the domain itself as your mark as part of your marketing strategy. This reminds me of a strategy that Andrew Warner uh, used to who sort of made his fame early on in email marketing and creating e cards and things like that many years ago. And one thing that I know that he did it, I forget exactly the details, but he created some kind of prize winning contest where the odds of winning like the huge, huge, huge grand prize were actually relatively low, but he could offer like a very big grand prize. And all he did was he went to an insurer and he, you know, asked them against these odds, how much can I pay you to get an insurance policy in case somebody wins this big, big, big grand prize? That way he could still go out there and offer a big grand prize without actually having the money that he needs to make it while still being able to fulfill on the promise of the grand prize should somebody actually win it. I thought that was a really genius strategy. Very smart. I might use that. Yeah, I, I think that there's room <laughs> for something like that in this idea. As you're sharing that story, Jeremy, that's a great story, one. But um, the deal making that you did early on was so critical to your success. It seems like this, this idea would be in a similar situation. There's some big Goliaths in the airline industry 
that are hurting and may be open to creative solutions right now. And people, there's this pent up demand for people wanting to travel. Uh, so matching those up in some way is going to be uh, critical. One thing that comes to mind for me is the credit card industry's partnership with airlines and how much money airlines are making uh, from the credit card industry. So you guys are probably aware of it, but if you have a rewards card, like the Chase Sapphire Reserve, for example, you get 3% back on travel and dining, right? Chase buys those points from airline partners, and I'm sure that they get them at a discount, but they're able to uh, make the financials work such that uh, they can do that. Airlines probably are selling their points on cheap. So if you could work out the economics such that you are buying those points at a lower cost than the revenue from the advertising that you would have as through this app, then uh, you may be able to pencil out the financials before even building anything. By the way, um, you know, not to sort of force the echo of, of your existing idea, but just using it as a, as a way to stimulate our creativity, how could you leverage something similar, right? Maybe you go to an existing brand that already has an app, right? But you say, will you license the ability for me to create like a sub part of your application, like if Kayak, for example, or Orbitz or one of these travel sites has an app and you say, hey, would you just give me a tab where we can beta test like a version with a number of your users and see if it generates some revenue? And if so, then we'll work out a deal to move further with this partnership. Now you could sort of shortcut the acquisition process and grow more rapidly. Especially for young entrepreneurs, it's potentially their first business. It's, it could be an amazing thing to partner up with a larger company and see how the insides work. You know, for me, my first job out of college, I was, I guess it called an entrepreneur. I was I started a business underneath a larger business called MV Sport. And I and I ran the promotional, a new promotional product division under their label, where we did collegiate apparel and we did licensing agreements. That was my first job at college. I got licensing agreements to all these different universities and we held design contests where the winning design would sell on a t-shirt at the bookstore, at the basketball stadium, the football stadium. And we made collegiate apparel cool. That was kind of the idea. And, but even more than that, even the more than what we did there, it was a great learning experience to see the inner workings of how to build a business. Somebody else was funding it. Somebody else's resources got me in the door with a lot of places that I probably couldn't get the licensing agreements with Maryland and Purdue if I didn't have this larger company. So it is a great, I think a great learning experience to get in the door that way. And then you learn what you like. And, and obviously I'm doing swag.com now. And I learned a lot about the industry 12 years ago when I was that entrepreneur. So it's really kind of guided me and helped me and, and see something that was missing in the market. So you really never know what the first job, the first opportunity, the first thing you build is ultimately going to lead to. Connecting the dots, similar to what you're saying here, connecting the dots a little bit between this idea and a previous guest that we've had, Alexi Varashaga. He's the founder of awardwallet.com. We did an inside the business style episode for that one. I remember that episode because I was struck at how, well, let me back up. Award Wallet, what it does, it's, a, it's a, a way for you to track all of your loyalty points across different airlines and hotels and stuff like that, frequent flyer miles, et cetera. And he detailed some of the challenges he had in creating those partnerships. A lot of companies, Delta, did not want to have him at the table and have him be able to ping their API as often as they were to, uh, to pull those point totals. So you can get a, a really good background into the point system and point tracking by listening to that episode. It's, it's number 47 on RunFit. 
But I was struck during that episode because Alexi is still kind of trying to figure out his business model a little bit, figure out pricing, figure out uh, the best way to make revenue. I'm sure a lot has changed throughout the pandemic. This may be a good opportunity to reach out to him and find out where he's at, find out if he has any thoughts on a sort of monetization opportunity like we're talking about here, gamification with this entire idea. He probably would have some really good insights. Yeah, we had a few episodes that had to do with travel as well. Might be some interesting places to explore, people to reach out to, partnerships, things like that. So in terms of bootstrapped or funded, something like that, I know, Jeremy, you've got experience with bootstrap and starting from nothing. A couple of questions like when you think about this, we've talked about ways to bootstrap it, but have you have you had funding? Do you think about now? Would you rather start with funding in the future? What might you do with this? Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so swag.com, I would say we had a lot of bootstraps in the beginning. Then we raised a little bit of money. We raised less than $4 million over the last almost six years at this point. So not a tremendous amount of money. We've, you know, we've talked to a lot of VCs and we ultimately decided not to go that route. I personally am always pushing my entrepreneur friends to bootstrap as much as possible. You know, if your business really requires funding, then, then it requires funding, but there's always probably a much earlier part where you could build an MVP or something to just prove out the concept because, and I've, I've done this in the past. I built a business before Swag where I spent a year and a half building something, thinking it was the right thing to build, you know, really kind of being so obsessed with the details and making myself lose sleep at night over small little things. And ultimately when we launched the business, 90% of the things that I cared about, the customer didn't care about. Right. And the thing in the 10% of the things I didn't even think about, those were the things that the customer actually enjoyed. And what I realized at that point is get it out of your own way. You know, there's like you have an idea, you don't know what the right answer is. No one does. So you launch something really quick, learn from your customers, adapt it, and keep pivoting and give yourself the best option to, to succeed ultimately. That's a great point, by the way. That's come up over and over again, you know, inside this podcast. And I've I've seen it just as a theme outside that the things that you worry about are never the things that you needed to worry about. <laughs> so the sooner you can realize that, that you just kind of move forward and, and find out what the real issues to deal with are. I know you have more experience on the B2B side, Jeremy, but I think uh, it'd be valuable to talk about how we actually would attract some app users here, some more consumers. One of the first things that come to mind is some sort of viral feedback loop that you would have out there. People love posting uh, photos related to their travel experiences. Maybe not right now because of uh, the pandemic, but that will return at some point. People are going to be ecstatic to be traveling again once everyone is completely safe. What methods come to mind for you guys for uh, getting the word out there for this app and getting people to use it? Yeah, for me, I, I was always thinking about this app as really, as, as you guys said earlier, partnering up with a larger company that he had a lot of value out of it. So I wouldn't even think to necessarily build an audience beforehand. It doesn't really matter about my audience. I think it's a unique idea that a company like a JetBlue or American Airlines or Travelocity would want to own because they have their own customers. They have their own branding. Like how many, how many traveling apps people have on their phone? I mean, I'm assuming not that many. No one's thinking about which they go online and they type in a flight and they see all the ads that come up for everything. We have better flight rates than you or this. So if you could somehow get an airline's app directly on your phone that you're constantly thinking about and using every single day, I think it would just make a lot of sense for them to want to partner with you from the get-go. And I've done this several times. You know, you could wireframe something, you could design something, you could go directly to them and say, this is our idea. I think it would be a really fun app for you guys to be like, 
the JetBlue app, the American Airlines app, and build it for another company. And frankly, you could probably sell it for a lot or even sell it for something. And early wins really compound. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the biggest idea. Most ideas don't have to be the biggest idea. But I think if you ultimately can win under your belt, start giving you confidence and you could get the next win or you don't even know what it could lead to. Maybe the app completely takes off and it becomes its own other revenue stream, revenue source. So you just never know. I think what I've learned over my career is just somehow get in the door in any way possible. I'm really curious about the strategy. You don't have as much experience with the B2B selling on this scale. So if you were to go to, let's say, JetBlue with this wireframe, I would be maybe wrongly a little nervous that they'd say, okay, great idea, Chris. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to think about it and then go build it themselves. Right? If you if you did this at Facebook, they would definitely do that. <laughs> They're notorious for, for stealing ideas like that, even for people who are farther along. I don't know as much about the airline industry, what they would do. but So that's one thought. And then a second one on the positive side if you could say, hey, we're going to build this with someone, we're trying to find the right partner for it, we're talking with Delta, we're talking with American Airlines, we're talking United, right? We're going to choose one airline to, to partner with for this idea. Maybe that creates a little bit of, of uh, motivation for them to, to move a little bit quicker. That's how I would do it. Exactly that. Exactly what you said. Because once you're already doing it, and once you have the team in place that's already doing it, to, for one of these companies to really start from scratch and have to wireframe it and look into it, it's not even worth their time. They're not thinking about it. Not You know it better than they know it, right? They're, they have to start from scratch. And that's why, in general, a lot of companies buy other companies, right? Like Facebook could easily build any company that they want to, but they buy companies because they don't have the time for it. They don't want to be thinking about it. This other company is a great team. And they, you know, so if you come to the plate and you say, we have a good design, we have a good layout, we have a good experience, we have good, everything, and we're in talks with several other companies, do you guys want to make an offer for it or bid for it? I think you could really definitely get something. By the way, I don't know why I want to ask this question and there may be nothing, nothing for you to say on the topic, Jeremy, but speaking of like stealing ideas, right? There's kind of the, the hackneyed advice about, you know, it's not about the idea. It's about the hard work and all that stuff. But I'm just curious since we have you here and you're an entrepreneur and you've probably been through a lot. Have you had situations where you felt like an idea was stealing? taken from you, like out from underneath you? And like, if so, how did you deal with it? Just curious. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not really one to be nervous about ideas being stolen. And exactly what you said, like ideas are a dime a dozen, it's execution. And, and most of the ideas that I've had haven't been very good. And we've had to learn that the hard way. You launch something and you learn what's good, what's not good, and you adjust. It's all about getting you know feedback and listening to your customers. I think with most things, with swag, really 95% of the features we build are directly told to us by customers. And we have a you know, running tally of this many customers ask for this specific thing. Clearly it's something we need to build. You know, five to 10% are some things that are outside the box that we're trying to push the boundaries and some might fail, some might succeed, right? And we're open to that, that gamble, but really trying to, 90% is really you know, going off of the customers. I have had experience, I'm not gonna say names, a very large company initiated us for, for a deal and we came up with a creative you know, we designed their swag and we designed all their different stuff and it was very unique. And then ultimately they took our designs and they, they farmed it out to other suppliers to see who would do right. it at a cheaper price, which you know, obviously wasn't cool, but that happens like one out of a thousand. So I don't even worry about those times. And if it happens, it happens, you know, you can't live your life being in fear that people are going to steal from you. You got to just, 
way more good things happen by being more open and talking about things based on the conversations you have from somebody, based on the ideas and the response you get from customers. It's just to us, it's totally worth it just to talk about stuff. Yeah, I think we all generally agree with that philosophy of just being open with the ideas. I mean, that's the ethos of this podcast in itself, right? You wouldn't be here sharing that this idea with us if you were someone who's been uh, closed off. But the story that you came up with, I think, is very relevant. And I think it's something that takes a little bit for people to realize, even if you know the principle, right? Like this specific scenario that you mentioned, how do you deal with it when something does happen that doesn't seem like right? You know, <laughs> how, do you, how do you think about it? How do you approach it? And I know in my business as well, we have like customers that complain and they kind of want their money back, but they really don't deserve their money back because like, it, but they don't also understand why or something, or, you know, the conversation is going on too long or somebody didn't have lunch. And so they're just really upset and they're just going to get more upset no matter how much you try to reason with them. And it's an interesting thing that I've noticed is counterintuitive. It's like, just refund them the money. Like, it's like you move on and you let go of those situations and the co the cost of it, like you said, it's it's really you want to think about it in terms of the odds, right? It's really about the odds. Like, yes, this would suck if all of your customers were showing up, getting you to design things, and then going and stealing those designs. But if one or two does it, they'll get their comeuppance at some point later, and you just kind of chalk it up to a learning experience. That's really good advice. I, I, that's exactly it. You just got to chalk it up and walk away and you're upset. It wasn't easy to walk away from that, that specific deal because it was so ridiculous. It was like a six month project where we literally designed a fully custom piece of swag. It wasn't just like putting their logo on something, but sometimes you just, you live and you learn and you move on and, and you can't win everything. And then the other question that I have around this is um, when we are talking about the point at which a company would buy you as opposed to going through the entire process of, of developing things themselves. It seems like some of the other examples of Facebook buying competitors, they're farther along than the wireframe process. They don't typically buy just the idea or a, a framework design. They'll buy something that has traction, that has users, that is growing rapidly. And this seems a little different because it is just saying, hey, we have this wireframe, this is an idea that's unproven whether people are going to be into it or not, and we're going to use you as a testing ground. That seems like that would draw a lower valuation, significantly lower valuation, if not uh, preclude them from wanting to buy you at all. One other angle that we've talked about often here is buying a Chrome extension or an app that's not making money, not making a ton of money, the developers, a uh, hobby project that they put their heart and soul into, but uh, they haven't monetized. There are tons of flight tracking apps out there on the App Store. They're <laughs> all versions of FlightAware or some, you know, some combination of, of those words. Buy one of them and add this feature into it. I imagine that you could do so in, I don't know, low four figures or five figures, low five figures, to kickstart this entire thing and yeah, these features we're talking about. I'll, uh, I'll add something interesting about the, the kind of sharing an idea with an existing company and trying to build it internally. I, I'm going to share information here that's sort of at the, at, the, at the edge of my certain knowledge. So I may be making up a few things, but it's an interesting, even just a hypothetical story. So NBA Top Shots is pretty huge right now with NFTs and people are making multiple tens of millions of dollars on a digital trading guard. And What's interesting about that project is that it wasn't started by the NBA. It was started, well, in conjunction with Dapper Labs, who created this CryptoKitties project before um, the NBA Top Shots project. 
And what what someone brought up recently in in a conversation was, we don't know the sort of deal that Dapper Labs has with the NBA. And it's quite likely that the NBA didn't know how how much value they were sitting on with this particular opportunity. And there's probably some sort of negotiation between the existing Dapper Labs, who's really outsourcing the project for them, and the NBA for a percentage of what's going on. And for all we know, the NBA doesn't have a very large stake in it because you know they outsourced it to another company. So you could try to create a deal ahead of time before everything starts to, to take off with this particular idea um, where there's percentages set out to you know who benefits at what, to what degree, and then you might be able to have retain your rights. I think that's an interesting place to leave it here. We're coming up on time. To the listener who is enamored with travel, wants to get in on this idea, take some action, let us know what you think about it. Tell us where we uh, completely messed up. Tell us what we got right. Love to hear from you. Email us at update at runwithit.fm with any feedback that you may have. You can also leave a comment in your podcast player of choice and and we get it that way. I would love to hear from you. Jeremy, we really appreciate the conversation. Where can people go to learn more about you? Yeah, so you can obviously come check out our site, swag.com, swag.com, or you can uh, reach out to me personally, jeremy at swag.com. I'd love to help you out. If you ever need swag for your company or for your sister's company, your friend's company, or anything you need, we'll, we'll love to uh, make it easy for you. And if you show up to Swag and they make some really incredible designs for you and you take off with them to get them done more cheaply, um, they won't come after you, but Chris and I will. So be careful. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be your muscle. (laughs) Jeremy Parker, thank you very much, man. It's It's been a fun conversation. All right. Thanks, guys, so much. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.